Happy back to school. In this episode, I share my lessons and reflect on the first week of school. This includes two mystery box activities to get to know my students, establish expectations for classroom participation, and connect to the scientific process. I also share how I introduce the teaching of science by having my students, who are undergraduate pre-service teachers, complete ineffective science activities that highlight the challenges of promoting science knowledge. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hi everyone, Natasha here, and I'm actually going to do a solo podcast today. It is our back-to-school week. Both Claire and I are back in the classroom, crazy busy, so I didn't know if I was going to have a chance to talk with Claire this week, and I thought, you know, let me just try recording what I did week one and share it out, and maybe someone will find it useful. I teach an undergraduate class, so I'm at Texas A&M, I'm a doctoral student, and I am teaching inquiries to physical science for pre-service education majors, so they are interested in teaching kinder through eighth grade, and this was our first week back in class, and so I wanted to share a little bit about how that went and also some activities that you can do if you're teaching K through eight or even high school, because everything I do with my students is intended to be used with their own class someday. So when we start, I, of course, want to get to know my students, learn a little bit about them, and also set the stage of my expectations for the year. And one of my major expectations is I want them to think and ask me questions and answer questions. It's 33 students in the class, and sometimes they're not very comfortable talking, and they're also not expected to talk in a lot of classes. They walk in, it's very lecture-based, they're taking notes, but they're not really interacting with the professor. And so as an instructor, I want to change that dynamic, and I want it to feel like we're having a conversation, and I'm asking questions, and they're actively engaged and thinking. So a great activity to do from the very beginning, I got this from my science ed colleagues, is called Mystery Box. So this is about halfway through the class. I bring out a box and I say, okay, I'm going to get a little know about you. We're going to go around. I want to hear your name. I want to know what your goal is after graduation. And then I want you to figure out what's in this box by asking me a yes or no question. So we start with the first student and they ask something like, is the object in the box bigger than my hand? No. Is the object in the box squishy? like, ooh, yeah, I guess it kind of is. It actually was really tricky on my part to precisely answer their questions. Is the object in the box alive or was it once alive? And I said, yes, it was once alive. Is the object in the box green? Yes. Is the object in a box a vegetable? No. Well, a few questions later, I realized that it in fact is a vegetable, so I had to retract and change my answer. And then someone asked if it was a plant, and I said yes, and we got through all 33 students, and then I had them, I'm using Pear Deck this year, which is an interactive um, gadget tool extension for Google Slides, 
and it allows them to use their tablet or phone or computer to answer questions that I then have access to so I can see everybody's responses and I can also share them with the class. And so there's checkpoints throughout the lesson where they pull up their laptop and they have there's some kind of open-ended question and here specifically I had them guess what was inside the box to see how close we could get. And what was inside was a little packet of oregano. I'm Greek, my family's from Greece, and oregano is a very popular herb, and so I thought this would be a fun way to introduce a little bit about me, but more importantly, have them ask questions. So they're engaging with me, setting the stage of that expectation, and then we connected it to science. So the connection was, how did your confidence of what was in the box change over time? So as they ask more questions, they're getting more data, understanding of what's in the box, so they're getting more confident. And this is very similar to science. As we collect more data, more evidence, we're more confident about whatever phenomenon we're studying. And this is a nice segue um, for introducing the nature of science. So day two of class this week, we start talking about, well, what is the point of science? And I have pictures of a mountain and volcanoes and rainbows, and I'm trying to get them to think about the natural world, and I have them write their ideas. And I give them my definition, which is kind of, is very simple, and there's lots of variations, but I said, I think science is to understand the natural world. And to do that, we ask questions. So I show them a, a scene from nature, and the first one are these two monkeys. They're like little ones. And it's not clear if they're playing or they're fighting, but I asked my students, what do you wonder? What do you want to know about in this scene? So they asked, well, what are their social interactions? What else is going on around them? Why are they engaging in this way? Is this a positive or a negative interaction? What are their names? And then I switched to another scene of a moon in the sky. I'm like, what do you wonder? What do you want to know about this picture of the scene in nature? And they ask, why does the moon come up at certain times? What are the spots on the moon? So there's a series of questions um, or pictures that I go through to get out these questions. So again, we're establishing that I want them to talk. I want them to ask questions and be curious. And now I'm introducing the idea of all of the things that we just looked at are part of science and they're phenomena that we want to study. So a rainbow in the sky, monkeys interacting, right? These are all types of forms of science. So as elementary teachers in the future, we also want to think about, well, then what's the best way to teach science? So we can understand, well, science is about the natural world, but then how do we help students understand that? So I show them a picture of a group of students that are doing a chemistry lab. They're probably seven or eight years old. There's a whole bunch of chemicals in front of them and they're pouring one liquid into another. And I give them a scenario. Students in this picture were provided a whole bunch of chemicals and they had absolute freedom to do an experiment however they wanted. How does this promote science? And how does it not? I'm gonna pause here. Before I actually started with a scenario, I initially asked them, what is the best way to teach science? So I just showed them the picture of kids, you know, interacting. 
um, in this like chemistry lab and we made a list. So the students said things like, oh, the best way to teach science is to make it fun, hands-on, experimental, doing observations, student-driven, open-ended questions, promote curiosity. This was their list they came up with. So then I had the scenario after we created the list of, okay, this is a lab where they can do whatever they want and just learn that way. And so I was trying to get to the idea of, do you think this is effective in teaching science? And when we looked at our list of, well, it is fun, they are doing an experiment, it is hands-on, it's student-driven, it really hits all of the buckets of what is effective or what we felt like was a good way to teach science, but we really don't feel like it's teaching them a lot about chemistry. So we have an activity, I pause here, and we test it out in the class. So I have the students do our classic tower challenge. This is our pipe cleaner tower challenge. We'll link it in the show notes. But basically they're building a tower out of pipe cleaners and there's some constraints that come in along the way. And at the end of the challenge that we stop and we think about what did we just learn? Why do you think I did this activity? What might it have been teaching? And they'll say teamwork and communication. And then I say, well, do you feel like it taught gravitational forces, center of gravity? structural analysis. And they're like, well, of course not. You didn't give us any of those concepts. We didn't talk about it. And that's where I'm like, exactly. And so this idea of discovery learning as a way to learn science doesn't really hold up if we want to deeply understand science concepts. Just because we're in nature doesn't mean we understand how rainbows work. Just because we can see doesn't mean we understand how eyesight works. If I'm flying in an airplane, I'm not going to understand how an airplane works, lift and drag and all those horses. Just because we're in the natural world every day does not mean we can explain it in a scientific way. So that was scenario one. And I promise I'm getting back to the mystery box uh, activity because the, the purpose of this day is to really weave together understanding science and how it works and also how to teach it in an effective way. Because I'm doing this, I'm teaching them how science works in a way that I want them to teach science, if that makes sense. Okay, so then we bring the picture back up of those kids in the chemistry lab, and I ask, let's imagine a different scenario. Now the students are provided step-by-step instructions. Because previously you said, oh, there's no way they could have learned science. And one student actually mentioned the teacher. They're like, well, the teacher wasn't in that scenario. The teacher was missing. So we're putting the teacher back in and I'm saying, now the teacher's telling you what to do. Mix this with that, do this, do that. And they're, it's like a cookie cutter lab, right? Where you're told exactly the steps to take to do this activity. And to really emphasize this scenario, I have them watch a demo of this very famous professor, Professor Tatiana, she's at AM physics professor, and she does this amazing demonstration with liquid nitrogen, and it's this big reaction, and the kids are screaming and cheering, and it's all amazing. And then I end the video by saying, now explain to your neighbor what just happened. What was the science behind this phenomenon? And I think two people actually could explain it, but they didn't get it from the video, from the demonstration. They had some prior knowledge. So the conclusion of these two scenarios is science should be fun, 
we want it to be exciting, but by just doing science doesn't mean we're learning science. We need both hands-on learning and minds-on learning. So how do we do that? How do we effectively teach science? And this is where I don't answer the question and they love it. <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay, well, wh what's the way to teach science? Let's do it. Let's experience something together. So we had the mystery box um, that first day where they're trying to guess what's in there. And we talk about how the point of that mystery box is to show as we gather more data, our ideas um, become more solidified, we're more confident in what was in the box. For the mystery box part two, it's similar, except this is a mystery tube. And you can look this up online, we'll link it. You can create it with um, like a cardboard tube and rope. And the, the, there's four um, ropes that are coming out. So imagine a tube with two holes on each side and then a rope coming out of each hole. And the students can manipulate it so they can pull one end of the rope and something else will happen. Another piece of the rope will move, but it doesn't quite react the way you expect it to if there was just only two ropes in the box. Like something else is going on that's causing different things to happen. So the students are presented with this mystery tube and they, this is about a 20, 30 minute activity where they are trying to figure out what's inside. And they're doing that by collecting data. And we synthesize this at the end and we make a list of like, what did you do to figure out what's in the tube? So the most obvious one is, well, I pull one side and then something else happens. So I pull another side. And then another group was like, well, I pulled two pieces of the rope at the same time to see what would happen. A student in the class then says, oh, I actually was thinking about spinning the rope. Like he took two pieces of the rope and attempted to spin it to see if it was both, it was from the same piece of rope. So it was like a very creative way to figure out if it's all connected. Uh, another group said, can I actually draw on the rope? And I was like, well, you can't damage this um, activity, but you can think of other ways um, to mark it. So they got a piece of tape and they marked one piece of the rope to see when they pull it, does that piece of tape go all the way through the tube, which would mean it's one singular piece of rope. So these are all ways to get evidence. And we drew all of their models of what they think is inside the tube on the board. And from all of this, we had some discussions and we thought, okay, well, how did all of this relate to science? Did you follow a step-by-step -step method? Like how did you decide what to do to figure out what's in the box? And they said, well, you know, first I tried this and that didn't work. So then I tried this. So it was okay. So you tried kind of whatever methods worked to help you make sense of this box. And I had this graphic that I can link in the show notes where the scientific method as a step-by-step -step process is better understood as these different areas of inquiry. So one is like exploration, we're trying different things. And then we come up with an idea that we then test. So we have an idea of like, okay, this is why this is happening. Let me gather some more evidence to support that claim. And then maybe something unexpected happens. So I go back to doing some more observations, testing ideas, and then that goes off to some other scientists who want to give me different ideas or feedback or, oh, you're wrong. Maybe you should do it this way. So there's like a community aspect of science. 
And understanding it in kind of these buckets of exploration and testing and getting feedback and analysis is a better representation of the scientific process. And additional from that is I have all the teams draw their final model on the board. And they're all very different. Like some think there's just two pieces of rope in this tube that are just connected. Another student thinks there is a rod in the middle that's holding the two pieces together. Another one thinks it's a washer. Maybe there's a couple washers in there. They all have different ideas. And I'm asking them, well, how did, like, why is everybody's idea different? And what does this tell us about science? Because if you all use different, let's say you all had the same way of collecting data. We made a list of the ways to get data from this mystery tube. You pull this, you pull that, and then you can give that to your neighbor and they can do the exact same experiment and we'll get the same exact data. But why does that data that's the same lead to different conclusions? And this is where we introduce creativity and our interpretation of the data. And science is human. Scientists are human and they generate ideas and have different ways of thinking and interpreting data. And that's such an important piece of science that a lot of students really don't understand. So the conclusion of this mystery tube activity, I don't tell them what's inside, which makes them really mad. And I'm like, that's the point because these students come in, you know, in college, they're often top students, straight A's. They know there's one answer. They're gonna figure out that answer. They're gonna figure out what I want. And I'm trying to break them from that, honestly. I want them to have their own ideas, but that those ideas must be justified with evidence. So whatever's in the tube doesn't matter. That's not what I care about. I care about their ability to support that model they drew on the board with some sort of data, some sort of evidence, and that sets the foundation for the rest of the semester. Bringing it back to science, you know, we talk about there's not one method, creativity, and then I go a little bit more explicitly about scientific discovery can be put in three different buckets. The first bucket are observations. Scientists are learning by looking at the world. Think Jane Goodall living with chimpanzees and just observing them. She's watching them from the tree, she's following them, and she's watching and recording information. Another example is so, uh, Galileo looking through a telescope at the stars and the movements of the stars and the movements of the planets and making observations. The second method of scientific discovery is experimental. This is where we manipulate the natural world. Marie Curie, where she's doing her experiments about radioactivity and finding, you know, when I mix this with that, this happens. When I'm trying to break something, how much do I have to put the force? How, many, how much force do I need to put on it for it to break? This is experimental. You're manipulating something. The human's more involved, right, in changing and seeing how it would work. If it, how does it react? And the third one is theoretical. This is where scientists learn by imagining how the natural world works. And I showed a picture of Albert Einstein think equals mc squared. Where did that come from? Was it written in the stars that these are the relationships? We have the speed of light and mass and that's how they're connected? No. 
Albert Einstein came up with these ideas and he had different ways of visualizing various scenarios and he used a lot of evidence and mathematical proofs to come and support those ideas, but it was the way he interpreted what he saw that was the basis of his theories. Same with like Newton's laws, force equals mass times acceleration. There's this really awesome science uh, story behind the science that talks about the evolution of our way of seeing forces. And earlier um, philosophers thought, well, when I drop a rock, it wants to go back home. It wants to get closer to earth. And that's why things move the way they do. And it was only much, much later that we realized, oh, there's this gravitational force that's pulling everything towards earth. And when I throw something up, there's a force that's pulling it back down. And then we're starting to come up with the idea of drag. These are all human constructs that are supported by evidence. And this was completely mind-blowing for a lot of students in the best way. So to wrap up this lesson, I gave them different scenarios um, in the sense of where could this type of um, scientific discovery or inquiry fit? In which bucket does it fit? So when you predict the path of a hurricane, I said, well, that's theoretical. So you did a lot of observations. You might have done some experiments to get a sense of how weather works and maybe the different air pressures, all the different elements that are involved in weather patterns. But a computational model that was created by a human is used to predict something in nature. So that's where I put more in the theoretical bucket versus if I'm just observing you know, animals, or I'm looking under the microscope, that's observational. And then in the middle, we have this experimental place where we are maybe changing variables and controlling things to get a better sense. And of course, these all interplay together. And the last one I asked them was the mystery tube. And as a class, we decided it was all three. So mystery tube, we observed it, we looked at, okay, this is how it is, right? But then we manipulated it by pulling ropes and doing experiments. And then we came up with a model of what's inside. And that was our theoretical piece. Like we made that up, what was in there, but it was supported by data. And all of that was meant to show this is one way to teach science that is grounded in research-based practices where the students are one, getting an experience, they're exploring this activity with the mystery tube is they're the ones doing it. They're driving the learning. I put the constraints on and I'm there asking them questions and, and pushing them to think in different ways, but it's their experience. And even better, it's an emotional one because they're mad and they're like, well, I, why don't you tell me what's in there? The second piece is to explain. So I take that experience and I build off of it to help them think through the way of how does science work and how do we come up with scientific ideas and what are they based on and how robust are they? How subjective versus objective, right? You can do so much um, building off of that. And then the third one is to elaborate, to apply what those ideas that they've just developed off of this uh, class to apply it to something new. And that's what's going to come in the homework, where I'm going to have them read different articles and think through different scenarios to help bring together what we learned in class and in introducing this different um, th these methods of scientific discovery through the readings and the questions that I'm going to ask to solidify that understanding, kind of see where the gaps are, 
And this you might be familiar with as learning cycle. 5E is another version of it where you also have like the engage phase, the evaluate phase. But the essence is you want to allow students to have an experience and then use that experience to build off of for some deep understanding of concepts. But it's all new, right? When you're first introducing these concepts, they're starting to understand they need to have a place to apply them, to really make sense of them and apply them to new context. So that was week one. Um, I feel like it went really well. I'm hoping it set the stage for them to interact and engage. The Pear Deck was a nice addition. I had never done that before. Um, I'm just trying to balance using technology and then it not being a distraction. So the first about 20, 30 minutes of class, um, I have an hour and 15 minutes twice a week. Um, I, I try to limit their use of laptops in the very beginning of class, and then we're using notebooks. And so they're drawing and writing in these graphing notebooks. So the distraction of the technology is removed. If you want to do this lesson, um, I will link the lesson in the show notes. It's our uh, Think Like a Scientist. It's like a nature of science lab, but I've modified it based on how I've, you know, been working with my students now. So I'll definitely have to add these um, updates with my the slides I've created. And as you know, as teachers, like every time you do it, you think of new ideas and different ways to really help uh, make sense of these complicated topics, especially in science. So I hope this was a useful um, episode and that everyone is having an amazing back to school season. We want to take a second to give a big thank you to listeners out there who've been tuning in to the STEM Space podcast. We love what we do. We love sharing content, the latest and greatest of STEM education, and tips and tricks to help you to teach STEM. If you have been listening to us and would love to support us, please leave us a review so we can keep sharing amazing resources and content. Thank you.